If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's up, podcast fans? Welcome to my own personal milestone 100th episode of the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Friday, March 8th, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and downloading. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review. That stuff always helps the podcast tremendously. Coming up on today's show, I could not think of a better way than to celebrate my 100th episode than by having literally my favorite sports writer on. Tim Graham of The Athletic will be my guest. We'll have a nice chat. I'm sure we'll talk about both his former and his current employer. We'll talk about several other things as well. I also have another installment of The Running With Joe featuring my buddy Joe. Buffalo wins on Twitter. We'll talk some Buffalo Bills and we'll do a Moranalytics podcast interest meter. Hitting on several sports and other topics and rating our level of interest in them. I'll get to both of those in a second. First, though, listen, I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm pretty pumped to be hitting episode number 100 today. I feel like this podcast has come a long way since launching in February of 2018. I kind of cringe, to be honest with you, when I go back to those early episodes and hear how some of them were put together as opposed to now. But I also take a lot of pride in it as well, because like I said, I feel like this podcast has come a long way, not just with guests, but in terms of audio production, quality, all kinds of things like that. So I need to thank a lot of people, people who have really helped me grow this podcast over this past year in the first hundred episodes. I'm not stupid. I know that the guests that I've had on are a major reason why fans have tuned in far more so than to hear me talk for an hour at a time. So I'm sure I'm going to forget a few, but Specifically, I just need to thank it. Bear with me for a couple of minutes here, please. From the national media, people like Adam Schefter and Josina Anderson from ESPN, Richard Deitch, Ross Tucker, Tyler Dunn, Adam Kaplan, Benjamin Albright, Sweeney Murdy, an excellent Yankees beat reporter, uh, Charlotte Wilder from Sports Illustrated, Mary Kay Cabot, Jenny Brentis, Jordan Schultz from Yahoo Sports, Olivia Harden from ESPN, Mike Vaccaro from the New York Post. I got Jonathan Jones from SI. Tom Martin, who lives in Kansas City now, former Buffalo TV sports reporter, great guy. Alex Pruitt from Sports Illustrated. And of course, like the meat and potatoes of this podcast has been my ability to get great guests on from the local Buffalo sports media. Uh, Sal Capaccio, Tim, of course, who's on the show today. Joe B., Rodak, Fairborn, Skursky, Mike Harrington, Sully, Howard Simon, Sal Mariano, Bucky, Vogel, Jeremy White, Chris Baker, Matt Perino from New York Upstate, Joe Yurden, uh, new guys like Jason Wolf and Lance Lazowski to the Buffalo News, Matt Bove, Jenna Hardner, Ryan Stimson, Nick Filipowski, Heather Prusak, Jenna Cottrell from Rochester, Ryan Talbot, 
Kevin Snow and Kevin Sylvester from the Half Hour Hockey Show, Dan Fate, Eric Turner from Cover One. Clearly, I'm reading off a list here, but I just had to write them all down because it's very, very important to thank them because, like I said, they are a major, major part of the growth of this podcast. I've also had a lot of athletes on this show. My basketball hero, Kenny Anderson, who's recovering from a stroke, he did the show that helped out a lot. Rod Strickland, former NBA legend. Uh, I've had Kevin Carter, Eric Wood, of course, Don Beebe, Steve Christie, lots of great former Bills. I've had Doran Dickerson, Joe Barksdale, who told a really moving story about dealing with depression. I've had Marlon Kerner, my boy Damone Harris from UB, Reed Ferguson, I literally just had on the last show. Uh, I've had guys who represent blogs like Matt Warren from Buffalo Rumblings and Chad. Dita Monasis from Die by the Blade. I've had Trainwreck Sports on, 716 Sports Podcast. I really love the local blogs. I think they're a very big part of the Buffalo sports media community at this point. I've dabbled with some wrestling. I've been able to have on Jason Solomon from Solomonster Sounds Off. I've had Nick Hossman from Wrestling Inc. Mike Johnson, the big one from PW Insider. And then I've had just had on personalities like super agent Lee Steinberg. I mean, come on, Lee Steinberg. That was a major get for this show. Best-selling author, Jeff Perlman on the show. Uh, Del Reed, I've had him on twice from Bill's Mafia, 26 shirts. Love that guy. Honcho Bilia, maybe the most famous Buffalo Bills super fan in the world at this point. I've had him on the show twice. That's been a lot of fun and a big thrill. So, you know, last and not least, I have to thank three people specifically who do regular segments with me that bring something else to this podcast beyond just the regular guest interviews. Most of the guys and, and women that I just mentioned a, a minute ago. Tone Pucks, who does Pat with Pucks with me. Aaron Quinn from Cover One, who's been an awesome recurring addition to this podcast recently. And of course, Joe, who won't let me use his last name literally ever. But he does a running with Joe and me on most Friday shows. I thank them all tremendously. They've been a great asset to this podcast. Most of all, thank all you guys for continuing to listen. I appreciate you very, very, very much. All right. So on that note, patronizing and self-indulgent time is over. Let's get into today's podcast. Here's my interview with Tim Graham of The Athletic, followed by another installment of The Running With Joe. All right, my guest today on this milestone episode was my guest all the way back on episode number two last February. At the time, he was at the Buffalo News. Of course, now he's at The Athletic. He also has his own radio show on 1270 The Fan, Wednesdays at four o'clock. Talking, of course, about my friend, Tim Graham. What's going on, Tim? How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm honored that I'm on your 100th episode. Who was on the first? Uh, Sal Capaccio. Oh, okay. Well, he wasn't available for this? I had him on not too long ago. <laughs> you were my guy, dude. To be fair, and why, this is no, no slight I, hey, me? No slight to Sal. When I first started this podcast, you literally... We're the first person I was talking to. You had some story or something you couldn't do the first week. 
You did the second week. Don't get me wrong. I was thrilled to have Sal on. He did my one-year anniversary sure. episode, too. But you were the first person I talked to when I started this podcast. You were busy that week, so we ended up, you did the second week. I remember it very well. Well, this is an honor, and <laughs> uh, and I'm, uh, no, I mean it. I mean it. You could, you your guest list on the show has been terrific, and if you're choosing me because I know that you could get a bunch of other people, then uh, that means a lot to me. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Tim, and I was a podcast rookie back when we did this. In fact, I cringe when I go back and I hear some of the earlier episodes, the audio, you know, the quality of some of that, but... It's like I'm a savvy veteran now. <laughs> it's fun. I really enjoy doing it. Getting to know people like you has been, it's made this show a lot of fun to do. You're good at it. Thank you. You know, and then we're going to get into the interview. I, I do want to say one thing. Your style of writing, the way you tell stories, in a way, is sort of how I've tried to model this podcast. And what I mean by that is this. Let me explain that real quick. I don't just want to read a story that recaps games. And when it comes to reading my sports content and when it comes to the podcast world, like I've had you on the show, we talked an hour the first time I had you on. And at the time you were really working mainly on Bill's stuff. I don't think we spent five minutes actually talking about the Bills. Ditto like with John Vogel. I had John on for almost an hour and I think we might've talked Sabres for seven minutes. You know what I mean? It was more about where he came up and went to school, what got you into sports writing, some of the stops that you've had along the way. That's the kind of stuff that interests me. And I think, it gives fans a different perspective of you that maybe, you know, if you go do quick radio hits or you're on ESPN or other radio stations that they might not get that stuff. So your, your writing, which is so different than anyone else's is a big inspiration for the style that I have on this podcast. Thank you for saying that. I don't think it's all that special. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm able to take some resources that are given to me and whether it was at the Buffalo news, uh, or now at the athletic and, I get the time to research and, and do good work. And when you have the, uh, those, those things, resources and time, you're, you're probably, that's half the battle. So uh, I just try to do as much research as I can and, and then let the story tell itself. So, um, but if you think that uh, I have some hocus pocus in there, then I'm, I probably shouldn't have said anything. I should have just, <laughs> I should have just thanked you and, uh, and, and let people think that uh, I know something. <laughs> let me ask you this. When you were on the podcast very early on, like I said, a little more than a year ago at this time, uh, you were still at the Buffalo News, and this was still a few months before the exodus of several guys from the Buffalo News. Now, I certainly don't want to put any words in your mouth, and everybody has a different version of what happened and different reasons why they left. Some were buyouts. Yours wasn't. There's a bunch of different reasons why, but let me ask you this. At that time, this is like February, March, I'm going to assume that you were growing unhappy being at the Buffalo News at that point. Well, I right before we had our big meeting at the Buffalo News, in which it was announced that we'd had our first quarterly loss in 40 years, I think it was, maybe 41 years, um, and that there was going to be a tightening up and there were going to be buyouts and uh, walking into that meeting, I would have told anybody who asked that I envisioned myself retiring from the Buffalo news. I liked it. Uh, I loved, I was a, I'm very happy there. And the role that I'm in is a role that uh, a lot of newspapers don't have anymore. The enterprise writer who again, gets the time and the resources to do really good work that you're proud of work that my goal when I write a story is that 
10 years from now, you can read it and you'll still learn from it. A story that is comprehensive and can stand the test of time, not just a listicle about the five things to watch for in the Bills Eagles game on Sunday. Right. Uh, or a listicle on the five things we learned from yesterday's news conference, you know, things like that. It gets, um, it gets tedious and it's, and it, it wafts off into, um, into the ozone, uh, very quickly. And, uh, and so, uh, it really, it was the mood and the, uh, depression that I had when John Vogel left and then Bucky and Sully and Bob DeCesare and Keith McShay was transferred out of the sports department to a different department. Right. And, um, it was just, uh, I, I was actually depressed and I, it was a place I just didn't want to be anymore. And I wasn't allowed to take the buyout. Uh, Vic Carucci and I were the only two members of the sports department uh, who were pro uh, prohibited from taking the buyout for because they wanted to, you know, consistency uh, for st stability. We were considered pillars of the department. And so I left without a, a buyout, which a lot of people were taken aback by because uh, at least everybody else who left got a nice payday and didn't have to work for a while. But I was right. fortunate that the athletic just happened to be coming through. But yeah, Pat, it was um, it was a mental thing for me. It was it was mental health. I didn't I wasn't happy there. I could and it wasn't uh, in in a term of my job. It was the people. These people I had gotten close to, they were my brothers and uh, closer in many ways than people who I see and hang out with way more than my brother who's back in Ohio. So to then all of a sudden have a sports department that uh, I just didn't believe in anymore and uh, having to be forced to, uh, to come to work every day and, and, and try to remain loyal and produce for people who I thought made uh, very poor decisions and what they just did for the sports department. I just couldn't do it anymore. And so it was, uh, it was a 100% personal decision. And I was lucky that uh, the athletic just happened to be coming through. Now, if the athletic wasn't, I'd still be at the Buffalo news because I wouldn't have just left out of principle. I still need to feed my family. Sure. And, uh, so yeah, it was a, a happy coincidence that, uh, the athletic was talking to me. Um, and it gave me an option on a personal level, guys like yourself and Bucky and Sully, that, that had to be very difficult times. Conversely, for the sports fan, and I, this might sound insensitive, and if so, I apologize, it was kind of a good situation. And what I mean by that is this. I'd ask you the same question. Had the Athletic in Buffalo started and you stayed at the Buffalo News, I'd still ask you this. How important do you think it is to have legitimate competition when it comes to sports journalism? And I ask that because I've always felt, as much as I've always enjoyed the Buffalo News, and I still do, my biggest problem with Buffalo has always been that it's such a one newspaper town, just like it's a one sports radio station town. You know what I mean? For sure. I feel like for sports fans out there, I feel like the athletic starting was a great thing. Whether you went there or not, or no matter whoever went there or not, just having that competition. Do you kind of feel that same way? Absolutely. And without even hesitation. And this was a market that was begging for alternative voices. And I think it, it's a combination of the Buffalo News in a one uh, paper town and WGR uh, as a sports station, which compared to other stations in other towns, uh, very limited in what they do. Uh, what they do, they do very well. But 
they really have only two shows. Um, most other markets will have shows on throughout the day, but the WGR has two shows and then they give time to the Sabres and the Bills for their shows. So yes, it's local content and it's live and it, you know, they don't go to syndicated programming during the middle of the day, but really WGR has two shows and those people have been in those shows for a long time an inordinately a long amount of time and they do well. But I think when you've been around other markets like you and I have sports radio, talk radio in general, there's upheaval quite a bit and it's to be, it's done to keep the shows fresh. Uh, but in Buffalo, people, there's, there's zero freshness. And so the athletic represented that, um, that new way, just a different option that people had been banging their heads against the wall for. You'd see it in the comment section underneath stories of the Buffalo news on the message boards, on social media. It's a shame that we don't have other options. Well, now there was one and the thing that was great. And it came out in a memo uh, within just, uh, a couple of months is that the, uh, the Buffalo, um, uh, the, the athletic Buffalo site was already profitable and it was uh, the, they were blown away by the crush of people who just sub- who subscribe to it. And, um, we we're doing very well. And I think that, uh, you know, the athletic always mentions Buffalo as the example, and it's because things have gotten stale. And I think things really hit their their nadir during the whole tank discussion where if you worked at the Buffalo news, you were labeled an anti-tanker. Right. And if you were at WGR, you were pro tanker. Now that's not entirely accurate because I actually was pro tank. Uh, but people, it was, and I've used this phrase before we were performing for each other. Buffalo news. People were writing columns, uh, for, you know, to refute what they were hearing on WGR WGR programming would rant against what was being said in the Buffalo news without actually naming each other, but you could tell what it was and everybody just got sick of it. And I I think that, um, that's why the alternative of of the athletic at just that time, uh, has, has uh, struck such a chord with uh, fans in Western New York. Now, when you joined the athletic as the Buffalo division was starting up, you already knew what you were going to be getting on the hockey side with John Vogel. What's it been like working with Matt Fairborn on the football side? Because, of all the people on the staff and just for all the younger sports writers period in Buffalo, I feel like that dude is a real rising star in the sports media world. I can't get enough of his content. I think Matt Fairborn is insanely talented. Well, he's going to have a good time with this because we uh, drove recently from the combine, he and I in the car. And I made a point to say that we were passing through Fairborn, Ohio. And he says, people always get that wrong. It's Fairburn, Fairburn. (laughs) Yeah, so we right. just had this discussion. I yeah, had with Matt, right. so that's all right. See, but he said people always say it. He said I never understood. It's right. There's a U in there, not a no. But that's fine. Uh, <laughs> he'll get a chuckle if he hears this. Uh, he, I've actually known him for a few years because John and I, as close as we have always been, very t- very good friends. Uh, we covered the Sabers together when I was at the Buffalo News before I left for ESPN. Um, but we drift apart because he's covering the Sabres. I start covering the bills. And even though we're both living in the same town, we just, we didn't spend as as much time together. And he has his family and I have my family. And while we exchange texts and get together for the occasional beer, uh, we didn't see each other nearly as much as I see Matt and, uh, Matt being at the beat, uh, us both covering the bills going on the road together at times. So I knew what I was getting into uh, working with Matt, and I was really looking forward to it. Uh, he's somebody that the Buffalo News has tried to hire a couple of times. 
Um, but it just never worked out. I was always pulling for that and hoping that that happened. And, and who knows if, if Matt's there at the Buffalo news, um, at the time that the buyouts happen, maybe he's a guy that keeps me there. Um, because, uh, but, but we don't have to worry about that now because he's my teammate and, uh, it's a great place to be from that standpoint in terms of the camaraderie, the chemistry, the way we look out for each other, the way that we help each other, um, the way that we share ideas and build off of each other is, is something that used to be the case at the Buffalo news. Uh, and it just wasn't there anymore, but I'm glad I have it. Is the general process when you do a feature story different now at the athletic than it was at the Buffalo news? Like for an example, uh, you know, you, you, do you have a story idea? Do you go to someone with it? Do you have more, do you feel like you have more creative freedom? Is it pretty much the same as it was at the news, what's your is your process different or is it pretty much the same right now? Process is exactly the same, and the funny thing about it is this: I didn't know that this would happen when I joined the Athletic, but my old boss at the Buffalo News, Lisa Wilson, is my boss now. Yeah, that's uh, right. She uh, when I took the job at the Athletic, I I uh, tried to orchestrate a little something to get her to come back, and they were in talks, and ESPN wanted to keep her. She was at the undefeated, uh, living in Washington D.C. And uh, I just kind of put the wheels in motion and hope something would happen. And, and uh, the people at The Athletic were able to convince her to come and join us as our NFL editor. And even though I cover more than the NFL, I'm enterprise in Buffalo. I could be writing about anything, whether it be hockey or colleges, uh, whatever. If there's a good high school story out there, I'll tell it. But Lisa is my supervising boss now because of our history together. So they uh, they've hooked us up. I have other editors that I deal with in the New York office for non-football stories. Um, and it's the same. I will let them know what I think is a good idea. And usually because of my track record, when I'm into a story, my ideas generally pan out. And when I send the email and say, this is what I'm thinking about so far, uh, I've never gotten an email back that disagreed. So they say, all right, we're putting it on the list go do it. And um, right now, just a happenstance, I'm on, I'm working on four stories at the same time, and hopefully they're going to sort, sort themselves out as I go through it and hopefully fall into place in, in a way that doesn't, uh, choke me. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, it's good stuff. I mean, it's the same process. I, I still research it, uh, in the same way. I write it the same way. Um, uh, we have some things coming up. I'm, I'm I probably can't, really talk about it, but there's a, t a story that I'm going to be working on in such a way that I never have before, uh, in a good way, uh, because of some technology, uh, that, uh, and, and, and ideas and, and different, uh, different things that are being deployed at the athletic that, it, uh, that I'm looking forward to. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. And, uh, they allow me to keep doing the radio show. In fact, they encourage it, uh, the work that I'm able to do at channel four, um, those were things that if I were at the Buffalo news, uh, you know, the, the radio show, the Buffalo news, you know, launched that show. So it's not as though the Buffalo news was, um, you know, not progressive thinking in those terms, but the podcasts at the Buffalo news have disappeared. Um, if you go to the Buffalo news, um, the sports page and click on multimedia, you will see, uh, the latest thing that was posted was for Bill's season opener. And then right underneath that is going to be the old Tim Graham show from last year Yeesh. with pictures of me interviewing Jerry Sullivan, which is not probably not the best look at the Buffalo news. And if they're listening, maybe it's time to take that page yeah. down. Um, but it's, 
it's thing, that's where the Buffalo News is just kind of let things fall fall off. The Carucci doesn't do his podcast anymore. Um, it just, but at the athletic, we're we're ramping up for a for a bunch of things that I think people are going to be really excited about, and uh, and the fans in Buffalo uh, should. Uh, should be the benefactors. Now, by the way, you're talking about non-football stories. Congratulations. Another APSE top 10 award for your feature on Kyle Ocposo. Thank you. Really well received. Hat tip to Joe Yurden. Uh, he's the one who um, came up with the idea and we talked it out and, uh, you know, that's it. Uh, it went very well. You know, we just, uh, we thought that Kyle Ocposo, if you followed his story and you knew that what he was up to, it was pretty easy to come to a conclusion that he was ready to talk. And so when I sat down with him, it's the first time we'd ever met. I'd never, Cal Iposo didn't know me, but um, he decided that he was ready to to share a, a pretty terrifying story with me. And I'm honored that, uh, that he allowed that to happen and that he was ready to talk and that he let me tell the story. You know, by the way, I, I don't know if it's maybe you're getting a little bit older or something, but you'll still drop the gloves with a couple of your arch nemesis on Twitter, but for the most part, you, you gotta, you're getting a little bit nice. Are you, are you getting too nice on Twitter, man? I'm like, what's going on? Maybe, here? you know, I, I saw somebody tweet something at me uh, earlier today. Uh, and I, I, I stared at it for a while and I, with the intention of, all right, I'm going to come up with something to say here. And I looked at it for, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. And normally something comes into my head right away and I just go ahead and let the, the, the tweet rip. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. I just decided, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy <laughs> for it. And that's exactly what it is, Pat. It's, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly where it stemmed from. Um, I knew that I was going to take a lot of heat for the OJ Simpson story from when I was at the Buffalo news back in, Oh, a year ago, I guess it was March, mm-hmm. I think. And, uh, and so I made a point as I filed the story and I knew it was going up that I wasn't going to check Twitter because people were going to vilify me for talking to OJ and how dare you. And, uh, you know, I just didn't feel like dealing with it or, or trying to explain to people that, yeah, you might disagree with, uh, with the, with OJ Simpson, or you, you may, uh, view him as an awful person. But it's that doesn't mean it's not a great story to uh, to look into. Sure, you know, just because you know Charles Man, there there are stations, cable stations that were uh, that their entire programming is based on Hitler programming and Charles Manson programming and mass murderers and all kinds of right. stuff. People are fascinated and they want to know. So um, my story on O.J. Simpson, I thought was way absolutely justified. Um, I didn't feel like having to defend my work to, uh, a bunch of people and saying the same thing over and over and over again. So I stayed away from Twitter that day and, uh, it was kind of, I didn't miss it. You know, it was kind of, there is an addictive part to Twitter of just constantly checking, uh, what are people saying? Not what are they saying about me, but some, you kind of hitting the ats, you know, I'm checking the mentions, right? What are people reacting to? What about, what of my stories, uh, are they, uh, are they latching onto what's resonating? Are they upset with this? Do they like this? And it's just a way kind of like for quality control in many ways to, um, to see, you know, what are people talking about? What, what are they into? What, what can I address for them? What, what questions can I answer with my next story? 
And um, I just found that I didn't miss it. And so I I stayed off Twitter because that story um, had a pretty big ripple effect uh, for a few days. And I just let it go. And I, I just found myself drifting more and more away from even reading the comments or getting into it with anybody. I've muted probably anybody who thinks that they're going to try to ruin my day. I just don't have the energy for it anymore. So I'm sure there are a lot of people out there saying things that I used to react to immediately and I'm not even seeing them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I I don't miss it. I don't, I, I use Twitter now as a news feed and to post my work. And that's about it. You know, you just reminded me last year with that story, I totally, and I'm going to admit this to you, I totally rode the coattails of that because now that I'm remembering it, that story came out like less than maybe 10 days after you did my podcast. And when that came out, I went, I'm not talking about Buffalo people. I went on podcasting boards all over. Cause again, my podcast was pretty much brand new. And there's these forums where people post, you know, their podcasts or this or that or talk about, I was like, yo, I just had the dude who, who, uh, who had to sit down with OJ Simpson. Now I do. And I'm remembering that now I totally rode your coattails on that. Got yeah. A little buzz but for and, that. With the exception of, you know, when I see, you know, people just being total assholes or, you know, there, there, uh, there's some slap dicks out there who deserve sure. to be put in their place every now and then. Uh, and, I, I, there are people I can't help myself, uh, in reminding them that they're slapdicks. So (laughs) it's, uh, beyond that though, I just don't, uh, I I can't give it much mind. Yeah. I hear you, man. So I love listening to the Tim Graham show on Wednesday afternoons. If I miss it, I always get the the podcast version. If I can't watch it live on uh, at four o'clock, but I think it's important to have talk radio. Is it to you anyway, maybe to break the chain of writing all the time a little bit. And I know you do stuff with channel four during the season as well, but being able to do stuff like some radio and some TV, does it kind of keep you a little bit fresh instead of just writing 365 days a year? Well, yes and no. You know, I almost was going to say absolutely, which I feel like I've said 70 times already during this uh, podcast, because you team me up. Uh, uh, You, you, you know, you're going to, you're saying things that I agree with throughout this show, uh, Pat, but it's, if not for the radio show, I, it's not as though I would be spending my Wednesday writing. You know, I'd be researching something. I'm a research junkie. I, when I'm in a story, I just go down that rabbit hole and I enjoy being in the rabbit hole. And I know it's time to start writing when I feel like I've not, I, I've stopped learning about that subject or I'm now starting to come across um, data or information that's starting to get repetitive and that's when it's time to write. So, uh, if I didn't have the show, it's not as though, um, I, I'd feel imprisoned by, uh, my writing process or, or having to do more work, but it does just mix things up and, um, people seem to like it. I know that it's not the easiest show to listen to in terms of, uh, the signal, but people are finding the podcast. They're watching the video stream. And I really like working with the three guys that I'm with. Uh, Mike Rodak is a good friend of mine. I know he's been on the podcast. Jonah Bronstein, I think, is an underrated talent in Western New York. He should be working full time covering the local colleges and high school scene. Uh, having him on the show makes for a comprehensive uh a comprehensive menu because we can talk about anything yeah. with Mike Rodak and me. We're strong on football. I can lean on some of my history covering the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, but Jonah Bronstein, you know, we can talk NBA. We can talk anything. 
Uh, we can talk about what's going on at St. Bonaventure, even though I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks, or what's going on with um, who the who the he can even talk about what's going on at, at Canisius College with the basketball program with uh, the third guy off the bench is starting to get hot. You know, he, he's just great with all of that. And uh, and Bobby Rosati, the producer, is a bulldog. He just goes after everything. You can't. Uh, he's he's just relentless and never seems to run out of energy or ideas. So it's been a, a uh, an endeavor that I've felt has been has enriched my life, my career. It's something that's given me experience uh, to the point where if I ever wanted to get it or had an opportunity, I should say, to get into radio, I would I would probably go for it. I, I just really enjoy it. And it, uh, and having my own show is a lot different than the work I used to do on TSN 1050 up in Toronto. So that was a huge platform. It was simulcast across the country. I did the show with Dave Naylor up there once a week, uh, Wednesdays also, just like I do my show now. And um, it's but and it was polished and produced and we had you know multiple producers and the guests that we would get to then going to my show at uh 1270 the fan but me having to do everything i wasn't there as dave naylor's co-host now i'm bringing us in and out of breaks and i'm coming up with ideas and i'm booking uh, a good chunk of the guests and driving the interview and uh having to prep for all of that um uh, it's been a, a worth it's been a uh, a rewarding experience that's what i was going to ask you like what's your process like prepping to do this show it's not like you show up at the station three minutes before you go on air with no type of plan to attack at all you and you just wing it for two hours every week well oh. it depends on the guests you know if you have a guest on there that you have a relationship with and you can just pick up right where you left off you know what they're going to talk about it's pretty easy you don't really need to prep a ton but for instance, uh, Daniel Carcillo, uh, a couple of months back, you know, the former uh, Chicago Blackhawk, whose name's on the Stanley Cup a couple of times, and uh, he's talking about CTE awareness and uh, and the things that hockey players go through, whether it be the getting hooked on pain medications or um, the suicides that have happened. He was really tight with Steve Montador, uh, the former Sabres defenseman who killed himself, and so um, to when somebody like that's on your show, then yeah, it takes quite a bit of research as same as if I'm writing a story, uh, and I'm interviewing him for a feature, uh, I need to do the same amount of research. So yeah, it depends though, Pat. I mean, it's probably same with, with your podcast. If there's a guy who's coming on that you're tight with and that you've had beers with a bunch of times and you know exactly, uh, what you can ask and what you want to ask and if they're going to play along and if they're going to get upset, uh, yeah, it's sometimes you can wing it and it, it's good radio too. Sure. One more thing. And then we're going to get to the mini lighting round and wrap up here. You mentioned Mike Rodak. I like that dude. I feel like Bill's fans gave him such a bum rap his first couple of years in Buffalo because of where he came from. But that kind of his turn. I, I sense now fans consider him after all these years, one of their own, but that guy got such a bum rap when he first came here. To, oh, not quite Pat. I mean, I still, I still see and hear about the grief that he gets. Uh, you know, he'll tweet something along the lines of, uh, you know, let's just say yesterday or Monday or whatever it was. Uh, Buffalo Bills signed uh, Jordan Phillips to a contract extension, period. Just a tweet, just an update. And within five minutes, somebody will say, kill yourself. Jesus uh, move, move back to, you know, Ugh. get out of town. Leave, please leave. Are you still, you know, he, they, and he, he does 
ask for, he does play the bit of the, um, of the troll a little bit. Um, but, but I think part of it is, and I'm speaking for Mike here and he's been on your podcast. Yeah, twice. Uh, but this is, so this isn't anything that I haven't discussed with him over beers, but I, I get it because it's gotta be a bit of a defense mechanism because if you were just to sit there and take it, I think it would be a miserable, depressing existence just to constantly be told that you suck when you know you're doing good work, which he does. Sure. And if uh, if it comes time for him to leave at some point, I think that the quality of work that he does in terms of breaking down the bills and transactions and the data and position battles and um, covering some of the hard stories like uh, he's been all over the LaShawn McCoy um, uh, legal issues, while a lot of others haven't been, uh, myself included. Uh, but he's taken the bull by the horns there, and he's he's done great work. Uh, but if he had just absorbed all the punishment and never gotten to a point where he's got to have a little fu in him, then I think that he'd uh, he'd be in a fetal position somewhere. Yeah, that's a good point too. All right, we're gonna wrap up mini lighting round. I do this with all my guests, and you know what? I had to go back to that second episode that me and you did to make sure that we didn't do this the first time. I started this kind of like one or two episodes after you. So this is new and it's fresh. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first answer is you think of, that's what your answer is. You good with that? Yes. All right, let's go. Where do you go to unwind with a few cold ones and some wings, not counting Elmo's? Everyone oh. knows that you're an Elmo's guy, or at least you used to be anyway. I don't know if you still No, are. I still am. It was just there last night. Um, I'm there once a week. When it's not that, well, I'm a big diner guy, but you don't generally go to a diner and drink beers. Where do I go? Oh, see, this should be easy. <laughs> but I, well, I mean, you are an Elmo's guy, so it's kind of an unfair question. Well, the Amherst Pizza and Ale House is also close by, and they do, uh, you know, that's where I would go if it's uh, you, you want to have some specialty beers because they have a great tap selection. They also have fantastic food. Um, whereas Elmo's is a little bit more limited, you know, they have, you know, four or five of their main mainstay taps and, um, but, uh, Amherst pizza and ale house has a bigger selection. A lot of those, uh, frou-frou beers that, uh, that I really don't go after, but every now and then, uh, I want to try and see what's out there. Sure. If you could be old enough to go back in time and cover any athlete who's ever lived, who would be that one athlete you'd want to cover more than anyone else? Oh, wow. Uh, well, all right. So this is kind of an easy answer. This is a layup. If once I think about it, I think it would have to be Muhammad Ali, uh, not only because of what he meant in terms of both boxing and in, in culture. Um, but he, his fights were in some pretty exotic locations. I mean, if I were working, let's say in New York city or I, I, I think even smaller papers used to cover uh, big boxing events back then when he was, I, w I wouldn't need to be at the New York times to cover Muhammad Ali. I could theoretically be at the Cleveland plain dealer and covering Muhammad Ali, but you'd go to places like Zaire and the Philippines and Las Vegas, a bunch of times and new Orleans, and you'd be Japan. Uh, you'd be going around the world covering uh, somebody who at the time, I don't think you realized how big of an impact he was going to have on the world. 
but uh, had to have been just a high to cover Muhammad Ali and to, to travel around the world with him. Now, this is going to be another unfair question. I always ask people, if you weren't a sports writer, if it didn't work out, what would you do? But in your case, you teach journalism, you do a radio show, you do TV. So you have plan B, C, and D. What would plan E be? What's something that you haven't done where if you weren't involved in this business that maybe you would have done? I think I might've gotten into law enforcement. Uh, my father was a police officer though. I, I talked to him about that once and he pretty much made it clear that if I did that, he would disown me oh, wow. uh, because uh, he, well, I mean, he was, I, he, he was, ser- he was ser- he, well, he was stern when he said it. I, I don't think he really would have disowned me, but I guess I never, <laughs> I never, you know, right. I never uh, tempted fate, but uh, yeah, I, I've always been fascinated by that line of work about, the justice and uh, making the world a better place. Uh, but yeah, with my dad being a cop and I think he viewed it as, look, I busted my ass to send you and your brother and sister to college. And if you just end up doing the same thing I did, I'm going to feel like I failed, you know? So, uh, so that was his thing. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've always been, uh, I've always uh, really had an appreciation and respect for law enforcement. All right. These next two are cheesy, but I got to ask them anyway. Favorite sports movie? Favorite, well, I guess it depends on my mood uh, because I think my answer for years and years was Hoosiers. But I mean, there's something to be said, especially as I get older for Field of Dreams. And after my dad died, you can't get to the end of that movie if you have a a closer, or even if you've had a strained relationship with yeah. your father, because that's what the movie is all about. Right. And yep. you get to the end and I, I can get pretty emotional. I don't get emotional when, uh, uh, when Ollie makes the underhanded free throws, uh, in Hoosiers, uh, but, uh, or when, um, uh, now I'm forgetting the, the, the shoot, uh, Jimmy Chitwood, uh, comes around the picket fence. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, that doesn't do anything for me anymore. Uh, and, uh, but uh, but yeah, seeing uh, Kevin Costner have a catch with his dad at the end of Field of Dreams is uh, gets me in the feels. Sure, favorite TV show. I'm assuming you probably don't get to watch a lot of TV nowadays. But let's go all time. What's your favorite TV show ever? No, I, I still watch a lot of TV. I have guilty pleasures. Uh, Judge like Judy, uh, Judge Judy, uh, Maury. I love Maury. Um, see, I work from home. So there are a lot of times when I'll just take a break and watch some TV just to shut my brain off. And I like going for the brain candy, I, I call it. Uh, and I think Maury, there's always a payoff. You know, are you, was the guy, the father, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah. was, uh, the lie detector test. It's just good to kind of, you know, shut the laptop and, and watch a little TV. Um, I am into the old Dateline shows that they show on, uh, Oprah's network. Mm-hmm. I DVR those all the time. You know, the Scott Morrison whodunits, uh, but probably favorite TV show. I'd have to go with Breaking Bad. And it's just I, I think it was perfection. And but there's a long list. You know, the HBO dramas like The Sopranos and The Wire, uh, Six Feet Under, I think, is underrated. Deadwood, highly under, very underrated. Can you be highly underrated? That sounds like an oxymoron. <laughs> um, lowly underrated. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I get into a lot of stuff. Better call Saul is good. Yeah. Second last question here. If Twitter said you a message and said, we got a brand new policy, Tim, you can only follow one person or one handle on Twitter. Now that's it. We're only allowing each person to follow one handle. Who would that one handle be? Who would you follow? 
uh, I can't. Let's skip it and go to the next one, and then I'll come back to it. All right. Well, this is the last question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era, any celebrities, dead or alive, any era. Three people at your house for dinner, a couple beers. Who would you have? Uh, does Jesus count as a celebrity? Sure. He's probably the most. He's the. He, I probably got that name more than anyone else too. So yeah, I got to count him. All right, I'm going with Jesus, but probably for a different reason. I think people want to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the whole thing. Uh, but Jesus existed in some way, or at least that's what the historians say. Whether or not he really was the Son of God, uh, people will uh, argue with. So I'd like to invite Jesus, so I could, you know, give him the once over. I want to see. Uh, <laughs> I want to see what this guy's all about. Maybe he was just the original Siegfried and Roy. I don't know. Uh, maybe he was just the first day, uh, uh, Copperfield. So yeah, let's see what Jesus has to say. Uh, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. And let's bring, uh, I need, I need some comedy in here. Uh, let's go with, um, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. All right. That's the first time I've heard that one. That's a good one. All right. I'll let you slide on the Twitter one. That does. Twitter. No, let me come back to it. Uh, Twitter. Um, You know, I follow what, like 1200 or so. And I can't really think of any one that I get really excited when I see the, the avatar pop up. Uh, Yeah, I I think, all right. This is uh, my, my favorite. I think that now that I've thought about it and it's popped into my head, uh, the Darwin Awards uh, Twitter feed uh, because it's hilarious. Okay, it's just people one after another doing something stupid and either killing themselves or almost killing themselves. <laughs> I'm gonna have to follow that. I, I've never followed that before. Oh, you have to. Yeah, it's people like throwing a bunch of fireworks in a campfire just to see what happens, and it's just it's like a dark version of America's Funniest Home Videos. You never people don't actually die. Uh, but it's just people doing like seriously reckless things <laughs> that they would deserve to, uh, you know, somebody like standing on, uh, standing on the branch while sawing it off uh, of a tree, you know, just really <laughs> right. dumb stuff. Oh God. All right, everyone follow Tim on Twitter at by Tim Graham. Of course, go check out and subscribe to the athletic award-winning stories from Tim plus the whole Buffalo and national gang, by the way, all for one monthly price. Tim, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate that. I know how busy you've been. Like you said, you got port stories you're working on. Just did the radio show yesterday. So really appreciate this. Always got time for you, man. I love the show. And again, it's an honor to be asked to come on, period. But for it to be your 100th show, it uh, seems a little extra special. All right, we're running with Joe. Listen, man, before we get started, I I do want to thank you for doing this. You've been consistently available to do this segment with me. And for the most part, you haven't been a huge prick. So props to you, man. I'm feeling sentimental on this EP 100, man. Well, I, I'm I'm glad I have no life that I have enough time to uh, be on this <laughs> podcast of yours. A hundred episodes, man. I've, I've I've I wonder how many I've been on. I I, I have to be. You know, I mean, am I considered a guest? 
I consider you a recurring guest. You, oh. Tone Pucks, Aaron Quinn, guys like that, that I have regular segments with. I could I call you guys recurring guests, like because okay. we do regular segments. I feel like it supplements the show really well. And to answer your question, I don't know, man. I wouldn't know an exact number, but for the most part, I've had you on the majority of Friday since the early part of last summer. So probably a good 25 to 30 episodes you've been on. Mm. Pucks has to own the record of reoccurring guests then, right? No, he, d- he did at one time. I had him on every episode early on. And then I would have, when I went to two weeks, he was on a lot of Tuesday shows, but not, he's kind of been spor- a sporadic guest over the last a couple months now, just once in a while. You, I have you need to give us, you need to give your, your guests like a nickname or something like, like a group, like, I don't know, like uh, us as like a group of name, like the riffraffs. I don't fucking know. Something, <laughs> something like that. Like we got it pulling from the, the, the more analytics, you know, closet or whatever. Here's guest number or whatever. I hear a lot you of know. comments from, from people on you <clears throat> sports media guys. They know you're around. I hear, uh, I was listening to the Bills Beat podcast. Matt Fairborn name drops you occasionally. Harrington's um, always mentioning you. So it's not like your your takes on Twitter or on this podcast have gone unnoticed. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, I've been on Twitter forever. And yeah, I, I kind of am a big deal, dude. I'm like the underground indie guy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for wrestling, dude. I'm like, whatever like, what, what Johnny Gargano was, you know, when he was like at Evolve or somewhere, like in the independence, but he's... But for me, I'll, I'll be there forever. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I do thank you seriously. Enough with the sentiments, though. Let's get started. Stop paying me soon, bro. <laughs> Let's talk about the Buffalo Sabres. Okay. I'm done That's talking about the Buffalo Sabres. <laughs> Let's move on. I, I don't want to talk about them. I, what else can we say, dude? They're not good. The season fell apart. They got issues. We've There's nothing new from last week, the week before, and the week before that, that we re- really we could add to the Sabres. So I would just prefer at this point, I'm going to mail it in just like they did. I don't even want to talk about them. I'm just, I just want to see how bad it gets to see if they fire Housley. That's it. That's my take. Yeah, not going to happen. Don't go there. Don't get me started. <laughs> I said, I don't want to fucking talk about this team right now. I do want to talk about the Bills, okay? A big difference in the air between this year and last year. Last year at this time, there were holes throughout the lineup, but... Nothing else except quarterback mattered. There was no interest in talking about other positions on this team, the offensive line, receiver, any of that shit. Last year, all the talk, it started and ended with quarterback. In fact, if you went back and you looked at our segments, we probably spent about 75% of our Bills talk talking about who might be the quarterback for this team going forward. That question is solved. The quarterback room is already full. There's not going to be anything done at quarterback. Does that make you look more forward? to this free agency period in the draft this year, or was it more exciting for you last year when you didn't know who the quarterback was going to be? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say it's, ex- I think more this year because this is year three of the whole McDermott being like regime, which tells me they should be at the end or close to it in terms of, okay, is this going to be a good regime or is it going to be a shit regime? So we're closer to that, you know, conclusion, I would say, because it's going to be year three, like at least, you know, I'm not saying Super Bowl, obviously, but like, let's see if they're in the the right direction finally. So that's a little bit more exciting. Whereas last year, you know, I, I think we all, I had been saying f- for like a year and a half or even like past last year, even like this team as it's constructed is not very good. 
you know, and these guys that are here right now are going to be guys that are probably going to be gone soon. And they're just, they're just like camp bodies. Like, you know, at the end of the day. So like, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more excited about it this time around. Uh, but barely, I mean, last year was fun. Like trying to figure out who the quarterback was going to be. Cause there were so many quarterbacks in the draft last year that they could have, you know, what was it? It's like six, five quarterbacks were in the first round. Right. Yeah. So that, that was, that was definitely interesting, but, uh, I, I'm more looking forward to, let's see where they, they're going now. Like, cause now they got this, this salary caps down. They got enough money to freaking buy China. They could do a lot of shit right now. I completely agree. Great point too. This is a year, year three with Sean McDermott as head coach, where you could really start to evaluate, is this guy a good coach or not? Did they, did lightning strike that first year? That question will start to get answered. This is being second full off season with the team. And last year, frankly, it got a little tiring and frustrating at times. Pro Tyrod Taylor versus anti Tyrod Taylor. That those talks got so, uh, it was just deflating and demoralizing. And I just didn't want to hear about it anymore. And that's seemed to be, Every conversation, if we would start talking about rookie quarterbacks, well, it would always eventually turn into a Tyrod Taylor conversation. Not just us. I'm talking about any Bills fan, period. So that was really frustrating. So for those reasons, I'm much more looking forward to this year. Plus, last year was about the salary cap in a negative way, whereas this year, I mean, the sky's the limit. I'm not saying they're going to, but theoretically, they could almost go out and do whatever they want to do with free agency. And for those reasons... The Bills have already been linked to a couple of the market's like biggest prizes on the offensive line. And I'm not talking by rumor starters, but by like credible reporters. Jason LeCampore, well, you know what? Maybe I should question that credibility thing there. But he says the Bills and Giants are in big on offensive tackle Darrell Williams, while Benjamin Albright says the Bills are very, very interested in center Matt Paradis, who many consider the best offensive line talent-wise in this entire crop. Yeah, it looks like they, I mean, if you if you read the tea leaves of the rumors, they it seems like they're going all in on offensive line, which, you know, it's, we've talked about this. This has been a big issue for them since last year, since Eric Wood retired, uh, since in, Richie Incognito went AWOL, and since they even traded Glenn, uh, they've had to fix this. So, yeah, it's 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 good that they are in on all these talks, allegedly. And, you know, I, I still want my wide receiver or two at some point. It doesn't have to be a free agency, but if it's one of those things where, hey, they go out there and they get two offensive linemen, you know, the ones you mentioned, and then that's I'm good on the offensive line for the most part then. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, great, fine, you know, p- pick up some a guard like late in the draft or some some other guy, you know, in, in you know, in the, 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 you know, day 20 of free agency or whatever. And then when you hit the draft, give me some skilled guys then within like the first two rounds, give me a tight end, a wide receiver. And, you know, I'll be happy. I don't know if that's, that, that's going to be their case, you know, right now, but it definitely does feel like they want to get some, you know, legit linemen and, and fine. You know, it's, uh, you know, I think it's always been, we talked about this, a kitchen and the egg argument when it comes to offensive line. It's the quarterback is the system is the offensive line that makes pass protection, run blocking work. You know, I don't really know, but I do know that Josh Allen's a guy that seems like he's your classic drop back passer who needs time in the pocket. Cause he likes his, his, his claim. The fame is he can throw deep balls. And if you have to throw deep, you need more time than if you have to throw short. So if they want more offensive linemen, fine, you know, but they better address a, a wide receiver or tight end at some point, you know, between now and training camp. Yeah. 
I feel like the offensive line has always been the top priority, and this kind of sets up well. Let's just say, I don't know, maybe it's not Paradis and Darrell Williams. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the offensive tackle from Miami, and maybe it's Mitch Morse at center. If they get some combination of two good offensive linemen, I feel like that kind of sets up well for the draft, and where maybe they could take a DK Metcalf or, or a Noah Font at tight end, somebody like that, Hawkinson. But I, I don't want to spend one second right now talking with you about DK Metcalf because if the Bills go out next week and sign Tyrell Williams, or if they give Adam Humphreys $10 million to be the slot receiver, they're not going to draft a wide receiver with that ninth pick. You know what I mean? It's still too early to kind of talk about draft picks. I know where you're coming from when it comes to wide receiver, but I think the difference between me and you, or maybe I'm wrong here, I don't think the Bills necessarily think that they need a quote-unquote number one wide receiver. I know they'd like to get another receiver, but I don't think that it necessarily needs to be someone that they think is number one. Here's the thing, and I was actually thinking about this earlier. It might have been earlier today or last night when I was thinking about wide receivers. Someone has to define for me what a number one wide receiver guy is. Like, is a number one wide receiver guy, like, are there like seven in the league? It's kind of a little bit like the franchise quarterback. Like, oh, you want a franchise quarterback. Well, what is your definition of a franchise quarterback or a franchise wide receiver, number one wide receiver? Is a number one wide receiver Julio Jones? I would say so. Sure. Is a number one wide receiver Brandon Cooks? I don't know. I mean, I like Brandon Cooks, but I don't think he's in the same elk as like Julio Jones. Right. I agree with you that. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, it's kind of like a white horse, like a, you know, a white whale of like, oh, you need a number one. Fr-. Look, here's the bottom line. I look at it this way. I want the Bills when the training camp starts to have two, whether it's tight ends and let's just combine them, tight ends and wide receivers, two top 60 wide receivers, tight ends in the league right now. That's what I want. Okay. Okay, I don't want like 59 and 60. I want like, you know, <laughs> number 20, 28 and like number 48 or something like that. That's what I want. Okay, I don't need a top five like, okay, give me Jerry Rice right now. That would be great. Five. Give me something better because right now, as it stands, those two guys like Zay Jones, Foster, they're not in the top 60 conversation. Okay, you have a fantasy football draft. You ain't drafting those guys unless you're a diehard Bills fan who – who freaking loves build the bills and you want them in the later rounds. Like you're not drafting those guys. Right. Give me a guy who is in the first like 10, 12 rounds of a fantasy football draft. Maybe like a Jarvis land, not Jarvis Landry specifically, but maybe a player like a Jarvis Landry, that kind of guy or Brandon, like you said, Brandon cook, somebody like, like him. Yeah. I mean, exactly. So if it's in the first round, fine, great. Uh, you know, in the, in free agency, the only guy right now that I'm like, oh, hey, I think he is like a guy and, and he's in that Brandon Cooks realm. It's like Golden Tate because, you know, he's got what three out of four years. He's had, he's had over 100 catches and we've talked about him. We don't think he's coming here. Yeah, no he way. To go to a winner. Yeah. But like other than that, I, I don't you know, I don't I don't see there being that like that. Like, I think it's a big, you know, and again, that's I like Golden Tate and I know like their age, the age is kind of a factor, but like. Below him, I think it's a bunch of other guys. They're good. They're okay, but they're not. Well, you know, I, not, I, I don't think you're. Runners. I don't think you're wrong at all. The thing is, is I don't know how many of those, like you said, a top sixty guy. And if you combine wide receivers at tight end, I don't know how many of those there are in free agency. I would say Adam Humphreys has the potential to be one of those guys. Tyrell Williams potentially could be, but he hasn't done that yet. There's yeah. not a lot of canvas guys. Yeah, and, and you're right, man. You say. Number one wide receiver. There's really not a lot of them in the league. I mean, you got like 
Antonio Brown and AJ Green, Julio Jones, uh, Michael Thomas from New Orleans, maybe one or two more, DeAndre Hopkins. Then I'm that's about it though. And you look at all those guys that I just ran off, none of them really have won anything either. You know what I mean? It's about getting, I think the Bills, their their philosophy is going to be, yeah, we do need talent. Like uh Deontay Thompson shouldn't be our third receiver, Isaiah McKenzie. I do think they're going to add somebody through the draft or free agency. I just don't think it's going to be a big ticket guy. Whereas I think with the offensive line, all bets are off. They'll drop $10, $15 million per year on one player. Maybe two guys on the line. That's going to be the big difference. And But that draft, you know, if they set up well, like for a TJ Hawkinson or a Noah Font or a DK Metcalf, if they address the line good enough in free agency, those guys had the potential, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if they want to do, like I said, if they want to do the draft with wide receiver, tight end, whatever, fine. But like I said, I'll, I'll stick to this right now. They, I don't need, I don't need Julio Jones, but I just need give me two guys in the top fifty of like wide receiver or tight end. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you get that. Like again, you can get it in the draft. You can go and you know, like I said, Golden Tate or whatever, or make a trade. Like that's what I want. I don't need a top ten guy. Just give me. Give me down the road. I think what they're going to end up doing is I I do, I think I don't know what the hell they're going to do actually. <laughs> but like, look, it, it could. It's one of those things where it's too early it, to you, know you, in the draft. It's right. too early to know. But also, I think you have to look at it this way: like, who? I, I could be wrong here. What helps you right away in the draft? You know, is it is, a, is it a harder transition for an offensive lineman to make in the NFL? You know, right away, or is it harder for a wide receiver? It used to be back in the day. And you've brought this up numerous times. You, the Eric Moles example. Oh yeah, like third year is where he he, he, he jettisoned. It's completely true. Yep. Well, it, well, I think it was then. I don't think it is as much now. I agree. Where as I, I think because the, the league is so much easier the past now, the spread it's just, the the league rules are so for passing teams now. I think it's a lot easier to do to do stuff like you know that's all you have to do is like look at what the stats were for wide receivers, rookie wide receivers even. You know, prior to 2010 to now, like, you know, Odell Beckham was huge, like his rookie year. Sammy Watkins wasn't bad his rookie year. He had like almost a thousand yards. That would have been unheard of to have 15, 20 years ago. So I'm curious. I don't know what the offensive line is because, you know, it's weird. The Bills haven't they haven't drafted like an offensive lineman in the top 10 since I think Mike Williams. And the last the last guy they did in the first round, I think, was Eric Wood, which was like, what, a decade, a decade ago. Yeah, so, they had Wood and Levitre. I think Levitre was a second round pick though that second, year. Yeah, same the same draft as Eric Wood. So it's been a while since they've addressed the offensive line in the first round. Glenn may, may have been the, the last time they did that, which was second round uh, in 2012, I want to say. But uh, well, yeah, it's. A, it, I think I think right now, I, I, you know, if you want to read the tea leaves, I, I think yeah, they're gonna go line. I don't. I don't. It is. I am curious to see what they're gonna do on wide receiver because. And I brought I brought this up before. Like, if you look at the Carolina model, you know they always they never really had like a legit like badass wide receiver number one. It was it was basically Kelvin Benjamin when he was okay there, you know, with seventy catches. That's that was it. And then they had a ragtag bunch of dudes like, you know, Ted Ginn was their best wide receiver of the year. They went to the Super Bowl because Kelvin Benjamin got hurt in the preseason. Like, I don't know how much they're gonna put into that. You know, and that's I think that's the curious thing. I also, you know, it's 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 because there's guys out there right now, I guess, in trade. I mean, you know, they've, they've talked about AJ Green being on the trade docket and then like you have Antonio Brown, you know, and then, and then there was the rumor yesterday that or on uh, Wednesday that Beckham was like involved in like talks with the Browns, maybe, which sounds insane, you know, um, 
So I don't know how much they value that. They they could they could view it again like as a hey, you know, the league is wide, you know, it's a passing league. You, you could throw anyone back there now at wide receiver because it's so easy to throw, you know, it's so easy to be a, a legit wide receiver nowadays. I think, you know, and yeah, I think they're going to sign a, a veteran receiver, but I don't think it's going to be anyone for big money. It could be like one of those kind of prove it deals, like somebody like Dante Moncrief or Funches from Carolina, somebody like that. What we're hearing is consistent with how I thought it was going to be. That's what their main resource is going to the offensive line, as I think it should be. I'm Again, this is kind of just a, a difference. I mean, you have a fundamental difference on what's more important for this team. But that's like, an, all right, put it this way. When we tape this episode a week from now, we're probably going to have guys to talk about because the Bills will have signed one or two guys. And by the way, real quick, too, they did have two veterans in um, on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, Dwayne Allen, the tight end, and Kevin Johnson, cornerback from Houston, both visited. That kind of tells you right away that they're they're looking to add at those. If, if they're having somebody right now come to visit before free agency starts, they're definitely positions that they're looking to fill. So that's not really surprising at all, especially the tight end. Little surprise about Kevin Johnson at corner, though. Uh, well, I mean, tell me, what is is Kevin Johnson any good? Like, what's his? He was like, a first. He was a first round pick in uh, 2015. He was the 16th overall pick. I don't think his talent is an issue. His ability to stay on the field is an issue. He, he, he's been injured a lot last year. He had concussion issues. Only played in one game right. last year. So it's kind of one of those, you're rolling the dice if you go get a guy like that. But it kind of also falls in line with what we were talking about. I think it might have even been last week. You don't want to hand Levi Wallace anything, but you're also not going to go out and spend $12 million a year on a corner or use a ninth pick in the draft on a corner either. You kind of want a Vontae Davis type, not a quarter like Vontae Davis, but that kind of type of player who may be able to push Levi Wallace right. or, or start if Levi Wallace happens to falter. You know, it's interesting. Like, so Kevin Johnson played one game last year, you said, because of concussions, right? Yep. Okay. That's, it's interesting because I've like the Carolina Panthers offensive lineman. I forgot his name already, but like he only played one game last year Williams. as well. Yeah. yeah he had yeah. knee injury. Yep. Yeah. And then it's weird. Like they're, they're linked to the bills and Matt Paradis. Matt Paradis broke his leg for Denver last year, the center that, that everybody right. seems and, to be after, including the bills. So yeah, there's then, a lot of then, injuries. If you, if you want go back to last year, like Trent Murphy was gone for that whole, was gone for the year for 2017. You know, yeah. he blew out, you know, he screwed up his, his, his leg and they, they, they signed him. And then Vontae Davis, even if you remember Vontae Davis, I think got, he was coming off injuries. He, yeah, he was coming off an injury too. So they they like they they don't they don't shy around with talking to people who are coming off like you know major you know do you major think, do injuries. Do you think that it might That's be because maybe they're thinking, well, this guy's a good talent, but because of his injury, other teams might be scared, and we may be able to get him at a more team friendly deal, and it's kind of like a low risk. But you see, I never buy that. It's a low risk move because to me, that's bullshit. You sign yeah. someone that's someone else that you're not signing. So yeah, this guy went out of cost much money, yeah. but because you signed him, you didn't go sign him and this guy doesn't work out and now you're screwed and you're stuck with Levi Wallace. I'm just using him I, as an example. I remember that, you know, the freestyle a little bit. I remember that when they signed Percy Harvin years ago, it was like, oh, it's a low risk, high reward. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm like, they're paying them $8 million. I'm like, they could have, they could have used that 8 million on someone else. Like, right. yeah, I hate that. That's so but yeah. They could be doing that with like, hey, let's go after these guys and we could get, maybe get them cheaper uh, because they're coming off injuries. But then and then you look at Trent Murphy. I mean, Murphy got paid pretty well for for, you know, what he did. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just something interesting that they, they, they don't shy away from guys as of now that like are coming off injuries. They're like, yeah, sure. Come on in. And 
I we'll like, see. I don't know. You know, the thing is with these offensive linemen, you know, I, I don't, you know, Williams, I, uh, he's a decent, uh, pass protector, but he's not good in run blocking. And that's like the thing, like, and, and that's subjective, like pro football focus. I don't know, even know who looks he's at a these hall players. of famer compared to Jordan Mills. True. True. Yes. Everyone, any guy they sign is going to be better than what they have. That's, right. It's completely true. And I, I kind of wonder what, how that was going to react with fans and, and like, even like media people, like, Hey, this is better than what they had. Well, I think you're going to look at, I don't know if they're going to sign Paradis or Williams, both of them, neither from someone else. But I think what's going to happen is come next week when these guys start to fall, you're going to look at some of these contracts and be like, oh my God, holy shit. Because ah. they're going to get paid, man. And there's going to be competition too. You know, the Jets need an offensive line really bad. They have a franchise quarterback, just like the Bills. They're going to want to protect him with veteran guys, just like the Bills. And the Jets got a lot of money just like the Bills. So I think the Jets are going to be a lot of competition for some of these guys. One more thing, by the way, Jordan Phillips resigned one year, four and a half million, $2 million signing bonus. Basically, he's going to get that entire four and a half million. All he's got to do is make the roster. I thought there might've been some type of incentive in his contract, but it's not. So it's a very player friendly deal, but it is only for one year. I don't have no problem with that contract. It kind of reminds me of Spencer Long's deal in that it, to me, it's an insurance policy. If they go out and they try to upgrade a defensive tackle and they succeed, well, you got a good third or fourth tackle. And if he, you know, if if you strike out, you don't get the guy you want in free agency. The guy you want in the draft is gone. Well, you got a pretty capable guy there, and you got him for only one year. So that, I mean, regards to that, I got no problem with that signing whatsoever. And I like Jordan Phillips. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a depth signing. I do wonder. I mean, four and a half million. It does sound. It does sound like a little bit like he could be a starter, you know. And I'm wondering. And again, you know, when you say starter, like with the defensive line, they fucking lay exactly. It doesn't really matter. So you know, they exactly like I've I've looked at the charts when it comes to snap counts, and it's it's really ridiculous. And I say that not in like a oh you you suck way, but in like a ridiculous way of. How many guys they put in there? Like it's a, it's just a, a crazy rotation. They're not putting four guys and calling it a day. So yeah, you know I, I I'll be honest with you, man, because I'm always forthcoming. I don't even remember much about Phillips that much this past season. I only remember like him talking shit during the Miami game, him kind of embracing Buffalo a little bit on Twitter and making like one or two plays. So I I don't know. I am curious to see how he'll do next year. You know, a full with with camp and everything like that. You know, he was what was he a second or third rounder in Miami? I yeah. Forgot. What was, Second. Yeah. So he's got talent there. So it's not like he's, he was a bum, um, you know, in terms of like where they found him. So we'll see what happens. I'm curious to see what he'll do, but yeah, it's a nice, it's an okay signing. I'm not like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And like, I want to start a fucking parade over here, but, uh, yeah, it's a depth, depth signing. We'll see what happens. But you know, I, I definitely figure he'll play on a good year. defense. He'll be a good depth player. He was a second round pick 52nd overall in 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got no problem with it. All right, so listen, I want to fly through the Analytics podcast interest meter. I do this with some of my other guys. Just going to run off a handful of topics, sports or pop culture. All you got to do is give me a score between 0 and 10. You could use a fraction if you want. Give me the score, and then give me a quick take right afterwards. Let's start. We'll stay in the NFL here. Many reports out there are saying Arizona will draft Kyler Murray with the first overall pick, and they're already shopping Josh Rosen who, of course, was picked 10th overall less than a year ago. That is, to me, an eight. That's super interesting because I cannot recall the last time someone, a quarterback, was drafted in the top 12 
or 13, whatever the hell, and was traded 10. Yeah, 10, 10 traded within a year. I cannot, I, you know, I do not recall that at all. I'll tell you what, real quick, if it's legitimate, if they are legitimately going to take Murray and and look to deal Rosen, there's going to be a long line of suitors because he could be a great fit with the Giants, New England, Chargers, Steelers, those guys with old quarterbacks who want to have their next guy groomed, or he could go to like Washington or Miami and start immediately. So if they're, Mm -hmm. if the asking price is going to be a second or third rounder, even for, you know, a guy that was a 10th overall pick just a year ago, that market's going to heat up quick. Speaking of heating up quick, the next topic, Antonio Brown likely to be traded possibly perhaps by the time people are hearing this segment on Friday morning. Uh, seven. I'm, I'm super interested to see where he goes. He's a the dynamic player. Take a guess. Uh, Let's, it's probably going to happen. Take a guess. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a dark horse, the jets. Ooh. Okay. That'd be interesting. All right. Next topic. LeBron passes Michael Jordan Wednesday night to become fourth all time on the NBA scoring list. Uh, yeah, you know, that's a five. I mean, the Lakers are so bad this year that I think it kind of like, isn't as impressive. Uh, but look, LeBron's the man. He's the top five player of all time, probably. All right. Second, last topic here. R. Kelly has a meltdown on CBS news interview. And later that day, this is Wednesday ends up in jail over failure to pay child support. Not a good day for the former nineties R and B star. That's a seven only because we're going to have so many memes for R Kelly's fucking, you know, the way his, his interview went, like every facial expression you can think of can be a meme uh, off of that interview. He did. Uh, I don't know what, you know what? It's, it's funny. I've not really followed this R Kelly thing at all. You know, in terms of what's happening. I do remember though, I was an intern many years ago at MTV news. And I remember we had the tape of R Kelly when he did a porno with like a sex tape, excuse me, with like some, someone who was in their teens or something like that. And I remember they showed it to us. Like we were all watching it in some meeting and I was like, Oh, that's R Kelly. And this was like 2002. So that's, that's the only thing I can kind of remember about it, but I have not followed closely. Everyone seems to think he's guilty and everything, but yeah, he looked insane in that, in that meeting, in that interview, man. By the way, as somebody who interviews people on a much smaller scale, props to Gail King, the CBS sports reporter or news reporter. How calm was she? She just sat there. She didn't blink an eye. He's having a fucking meltdown in front of the cameras. Everyone else, she's just sitting there like completely unfazed by it all. That was pretty impressive. She probably knew like she had something amazing because it's like this guy's having a fucking breakdown yelling at the camera. So she's probably like, oh, there's definitely going to be traction on this now because this guy is fucking crazy right now. Right. Yes, she did. She did totally look calm and was like. Okay, yeah, you're you're fucking insane. But she was probably like deep down, she was like, oh, this is going to get some traction. So good. <laughs> Last topic, WWE, Ronda Rousey turns heel. That's, I don't even know what the hell that, that's like a, that's seven. Because I don't even know if she really is a heel now. Or was that just her being like, like crazy? On, I think it's a heel know. turn. I think it's a heel turn. I think it's official. I mean, I guess wrestling is a gray area in our this generation is not so much black and white anymore, but that's as close to a heel turn as she could get attacking Becky Lynch. I consider it a heel turn. She pretty much said screw, screw the fans too. So yeah, that's a heel turn. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's kind of, she has to be leaving after mania then I, I would agree. say. And everything is all about putting rot. It's putting Becky Lynch like the forefront 
I would say. But yeah, it's it, it, Ronda's weird, man. Like some of her promos are good, and some of her promos she just gets really like amped up, excited, and like yells too a little bit too much. Talks I think she too has, like, fast. Yeah, she needs to, like she like she had some okay lines like screw the woo and screw the man. Like maybe I don't know, maybe like not as fast like you said. Like kind of slow it down there, girl. Okay. All right, what do you got, man? What's your finisher this week? Uh, always putting me on the spot because you know I do the zero prep for this. Um, you know, you know, Pat. You know, Twitter is a place where we can always, you know, spew out hot takes, and no one ever holds people accountable. At least, I mean, some people do get held accountable, but like people forget because it's just Twitter is ongoing. But like about a, a few weeks ago, someone put out this countdown that I was just incredulous when I saw it. Like this is the worst thing I have ever seen tweeted, and it was by you. When you decided to put Rocky three as the number one Rocky movie of all time. Oh dear. What the fuck is that? First off, Rocky, the original Rocky, won best picture. So how the hell do you put Rocky three on top of Rocky, the, the original one? Two, how many iconic moments were in Rocky two? Hey, you got you, you got Yo Adrian, I did it. He beats Apollo. It's a long storyline that cult that culminates with him winning the championship. What the hell happened in Rocky three? Some old guy died, which everyone dies. You know, mentors always die. It was a, a training montage for half the freaking movie, which, by the way, every single Rocky movie after Rocky, like, two, aside from Creed, basically was a freaking workout montage. And in my opinion, and I don't care what you say, because guess what? This is my moment, not yours. Rocky Four is overrated because it showed oh. how how crazy Sylvester Stallone, how his ego got the best of him. You want to know why? Arnold Schwarzenegger is a way better action hero than Sly is because Sly did Rocky four where he was like, I'm going to have a giant workout video. I'm going to throw my no talent wife in this movie to be the, you know, Ivan Drago's freaking wife. He was hard. Rocky four sucked. Okay. It had no story. It was just, it was, it was something that Donald Trump would probably love today. And yesterday, like some fucking, you know, Mr. America guy would love, but like it had no story. It was just like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go fight Russia. Great. The end. All of those beats can be told in like 10 minutes. So anyway, yeah. Rocky 3 sucks. Rocky 4 sucks. Rocky 5 definitely sucks. And for you to put Rocky 3 at the top is ridiculous. And no respect you gave to Creed, by the way. Creed 1 was great. I would put Creed in the top three Rocky movies. All right, that's going to do it for today. Episode number 100 in the books. Thanks again to my man Tim Graham from The Athletic. Always a big thrill to have him on this show. One of the best sports writers of this generation. And I truly, sincerely mean that. Big thrill for me to have him on twice now. Thanks as well to my man Joe. The Running With Joe. Always love doing that segment. It's a good time. Appreciate you, Joe. Coming up next week, I have Josh Reed from WIVB-TV on Tuesday. I got Joe Marino from the Draft Network next Friday. Looking forward to having two good shows next week. Guys, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer 
within just minutes of their release. That's the big benefit of subscribing. You don't have to wait. You get it first. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. Don't forget to rate and review. Again, that helps the show tremendously. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Go on Facebook. Hit the like button on the Moranalytics Podcast Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Here's to the next 100. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.